We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today brought to you by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC when you go to MyBookie.ag and they will match your first deposit halfway up to $1,000. Let them know that I sent you by using my promo code KevinDC. You can bet on anything. Basketball, the playoffs, which have been great. I'll get to those later on in the show. The hockey playoffs, both of the uh, final four series are at two games apiece. All of the prop bets for the NFL season upcoming. Go to my bookie, use my promo code Kevin DC, and you'll get your first deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Again, what that means is if you deposit $1,000, they'll give you an extra $500 to bet with. Um, okay, today's show uh, includes Jeff Miller, who writes for the LA Times. And Jeff, over the weekend, wrote a really, um, really good story about Colt Brennan titled A Warrior Fallen, The Life and Death of One-Time Hawaii Football Star Colt Brennan. Of course, also a preseason star here uh, in Washington. And it's a really good story. I'll have him on. Also, he covers the Chargers for the LA Times. We are, what, two, two and a half months away, two and a half months away um, from uh, the season opener. Uh, so we will find out about Washington's season opening opponent, the LA Chargers, with Jeff in a little bit. Uh, I'll get to the NBA later in the show. I'll get to the U.S. Open later in the show. I wanted to start with the Nats, who really, I think, for all intents and purposes, kept their season in play. You know, it's hard to say on June 21st. You know, when you've played, um, you know, to this point, you've played, uh, they're 33 and 36, so they played 69 games. It's hard to say with basically a little less than 100 left that, you know, the the, the stretch of games that you just went through were somehow um, the difference between having a season and a potential playoff season and not. But last week on the radio show, I had Mark Zuckerman on the show. This morning, I had Dave Jagler on the show who calls the games. Um, of course, uh, it calls the uh, radio uh, games uh, with um, with Charlie Slows. I was blanking on Charlie's name there briefly with Charlie Slows. And, um, and Dave said, look, you know, this last stretch 
perhaps didn't decide anything, but it, what it guaranteed at least is that this next stretch is meaningful. Because if they had come through the stretch of the Giants, the Pirates, and the Mets, they've won seven of their last eight. You know, at one point they were nine games below 500 and nine out in the National League East. Pittsburgh was terrible. Um, they took all three from Pittsburgh. The Mets are in first place. They took three of four um, with the Mets over the weekend, including the, the splitting that split doubleheader on Saturday uh, with the Mets. But winning seven of their last eight, you know, has them within five games. And they've got a brutal stretch coming up, and it makes it meaningful. Instead of potentially being 10, 11 games back, and the next stretch sort of going through the motions, hoping to resurrect their season against the teams that I'll mention in a moment. Now, you know, they're in it. You know, they can afford to – they don't have to go over their next 15 um, and, and win 10 or 11 because it's going to be hard to. They've got the Phillies um, two games, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Then they get the, the Marlins, okay? So that is the one stretch of schedule that for now looks relatively easy. After that, listen to this stretch for the Nationals. All right, after the two with the Phillies and the um, uh, the, the four games against the Marlins, they get uh, a makeup game against the Mets. Then they get Tampa twice, the Dodgers four times, the Padres four times, and then the Giants three times before the All Star break, and then they come home after the All-Star break, and have three against the Padres. So that is a an incredibly brutal stretch of schedule. Had they entered that thing 10 or 11 games back, it wouldn't have felt as meaningful. Um, but it is meaningful because Kyle Schwarber has been incredible. Three home runs yesterday, two on Saturday, eight total RBIs in his last two games from the leadoff spot. Um, For Kyle Schwarber, he's got 18 home runs on the year. He's homered nine times in a 10-game span. Uh, He's the second player in Nat slash Expos history with five home runs in a two-game span. Bryce Harper did it back in 2015. Schwarber also joined Mookie Betts as the only leadoff hitters. He's been leading off for the last 10 11, 12 days, something like that. Schwarber joins Mookie Betts as the only leadoff hitter to hit five home runs in a two-game span in the modern era since 1900. Betts did it versus the Orioles in 2016. Schwarber moved to that leadoff spot. Look, with all these home runs, it would be much better if guys were on base. You know, that would be much uh, preferable, but you're not going to move him out of this spot now. You can't. He's been your offense. He's seeing the ball, and he's seeing it as a leadoff hitter. Um, you know, he had three homers yesterday. Two of them were solo shots. His third one came with, believe it or not, if you miss this from over the weekend, Mr. Baby Shark himself, Gerardo Parra, uh, on, uh, on base. He was called up, and he's back at 34 years old, and at least for a day yesterday, it felt like it was 2019 all over again. 
Um, but there's more really to what the Nats um, have been doing. Um, you've got to look at the pitching that they have gotten um, without their two aces, Scherzer and Strasburg. They have gotten tremendous starts from Fetty, from Ross, from Lester, and from Corbin uh, in particular. Right now, the Nats are on a run without Strasburg, without Scherzer, without Daniel Hudson. Listen to their, their last um, stretch of, of games pitching-wise. The starting rotation, a 1.81 ERA over their last 16 games. The bullpen, three earned runs in their last 32 innings during the most recent 11-game homestand. Home That's a 0.84 ERA. If they can get Scherzer, and he, I think, is going to pitch tomorrow night in Philadelphia, if they can get Strasburg back um, at some point, um, they are really rounding into shape. Look, they're still three games below 500, but they really got what they needed out of this weekend. They got another great outing yesterday from Corbin, and they got the performance of the you know last several years from Kyle Schwarber. Um, in that leadoff spot, taking three of four against the Mets puts him in really a really good spot. You know, sitting there basically tied for third with the Braves and only a game back of the Phillies. Um, it's a division. You know, if you look at the rest of the National League right now, things can change, but it will probably only produce one playoff team, and that'll be the division winner. So there's going to be a battle here between you know the Nats, Braves, Phillies, and Mets. I think for. Um, a, a long while here. Tough stretch coming up for the Nats, though. But the, you know, if they could get you know one of the two in Philly and then somehow get three or four against Miami, it would set them up really well for the real difficult stretch prior to the All Star break. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention here in the opener was the story that came out on Friday about the Washington football team name. Uh, so. Uh, the Washington football team had put in a trademark request for the Washington football team to have that trademarked. Now, that request was probably made months, months, months ago, maybe even shortly after they lost their name um, 11 months ago. But the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office found um, that a pre-existing application was too, uh, too familiar, and they refused Washington's um, request for trademark protection on Washington football team. Now, just so everybody knows, when you don't have trademark protection, it doesn't mean that you can't use the name, especially if you've been using it, but it means that you're not the exclusive provider um, and seller of um, apparel and things associated with the brand and the logo. Um, there's this guy um, named Macaulay, last name. He's the legal owner of the Washington Football Club and the Washington football team trademark. He, he is squatting right now on several names related to the Washington football team, you know, hoping, I'm sure, to get paid for whichever one they want. Now, what, what are the big takeaways here from this story? Uh, first of all, if you recall, they, they originally, the, the, uh, P &T, uh, the PTO, the, the Patent and Trademark Office, refused their trademark um, or canceled their trademark on Redskins. And then the Supreme Court upheld um, a decision on that Asian rock band slants, which essentially meant that Washington was protected as well. So they ended up winning on that. They won on the, you know, the last polling of Native Americans. They were rolling in 2016, 2017, never thinking that they would lose their name. Um, but, but real quickly, um, 
they could have applied for this trademark a year ago and really, you know, are just looking to renew it so that they don't have a competitor to product. They don't have people selling knockoff product against them this year and the last year of Washington football team. Or they really wanted to keep the name. I don't know what the answer to that is, but the bottom line is that unless they buy this guy McCauley out, um, Washington football team may be in jeopardy if that was actually a legitimate possibility. Um, I think they are in a bit of disarray on all of this. Jason Wright is, you know, every time he speaks to all of this, we're getting, you know, all of the deep diving and researching and focus grouping and inclusiveness with fans and with ex-players, et cetera. It's just a wonderful, you know, wonderful process. And they're going to land on a name that everybody can be proud of. And, you know, the timing for that is probably early next year. They're going to go through this season as the Washington football team, and then they'll land on something. And Washington football team, remember, over the you know last couple of months hasn't been you know, discarded yet as a possibility, as a future long-term possibility. But this was a bit of a blow to it, um, the uh, patent and trademark office decision. Um, I think that they're struggling right now. I think that Warriors was the name they wanted, and I think they let the trademark that they had on Warriors lapse and lost it. Um, the fact that um, that this name, Washington football team, wasn't marked and that they picked it you know, after losing their name um, and didn't realize that they couldn't mark it is a bit of a bumbling and stumbling um, per usual. But really, the issue more than anything else is, I don't, I've told you before, I don't care necessarily about the name and what it ends up being. I mean, I might care at some point, you know, but uh, right now it's just not anywhere near the top of, uh, of my list of things when it comes to this team. Um, number one on my list is I hope Ryan Fitzpatrick can really play, or one of the quarterbacks can really play, but I hope it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Actually, it would be better if it were Taylor Heineke because they'd have a long-term answer, but I don't think it will be. But I hope Ryan Fitzpatrick is really good, and I hope they have a really competitive season um, this year. But, you know, the bottom line to all of this and the position they are in is what I've described over the years many, many times. You know, it's not the brightest group of people. And it, but it's certainly among the most arrogant of people. Um, and their arrogance and the fact that they aren't brilliant, um, you know, pushed away um, some real commonsensical approaches to the name issue. Even when they thought they'd never lose it and the owner said never, never, never in all caps, somebody in that organization should have been able to stand up and say, hey, Dan, look, things change, the world changes, these things happen all the time. I don't think you're going to lose the name, but in the event that something were to happen down the road and corporate sponsors were going to were started to bail and you had to switch it, the league forced you to switch it, we should have a couple of plans. We should have some contingency plans. It costs nothing to trademark a few names. Let's come up with 3 or 4, let's come up with 20 potential names. And let's start trademarking all these things. It costs nothing to do that for a big for a business like Washington. But they never had a plan A. They didn't have a plan B. They didn't have a plan C. I think Warriors was the plan A, and I think they actually had it marked at one point and just sort of let it lapse. The bottom line is the level of the level of incompetence over the years. Um, you know the 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 level of sort of 
bungling and and amateur hour stuff. You know, this is why they're, I think, scrambling right now on the name thing. They'll come up with something. They've trademarked now probably six, seven. They probably have 30 of them now. Um, but this is what they should have been doing years ago. But they just never thought. You know, but you always have to think, especially given all the controversy around this. And by the way, how much revenue was tied to potentially this with big corporate sponsors, let alone actual minority stakeholders? Um, Anyway, uh, I don't know what it means. I don't know if this was really a possibility, Washington football team moving forward. I don't know if this is just, you know, a case that had been out there for many, many months and came back and they just got the ruling on Friday and they, you know, they they they, they had the ability, I think, to appeal it. Um, and maybe if they do, that's more of a sign that they are very interested in keeping this name beyond this year. But um, I don't know. Uh, and as far as those, those people squatting on those trademarks, you know, I can't imagine, I don't know what they, they're, they're looking for in terms of getting paid off. Um, but, uh, it would have never become an issue if years and years ago, somebody had said to Dan, uh, this is what we should start doing just in the event probably won't happen, but maybe one day, and then we'll have all, we'll have 30 of these things trademarked and owned and we'll pay the fees every year. It's not a big deal. It's, it's hardly any money. And then we'll be able to sit back and, and pick one of them. Um, all right. Uh, when we come back, Jeff Miller from the LA times, uh, the story he wrote about Colt Brennan. I want you to hear about that. And we'll also, Um, Get into the Chargers. Uh, He covers the Chargers for the LA Times. They are Washington's week one opponent. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Jeff Miller covers, well, he covers the Los Angeles Chargers for the for the LA Times, and we're going to get into, at some point during this conversation, Washington's week one opponent at FedEx Field, the Chargers. Um, but really, the reason I reached out to Jeff is Jeff wrote a story, which I read very early this morning for the LA Times, about Colt Brennan, um, titled, A Warrior Fallen, The Life and Death of One-Time Hawaii Football Star. Colt Brennan. Um, Jeff, I appreciate the time. Colt was actually for, you know, a brief fleeting moment in this town, one of those, you know, preseason heroes, you know, everybody thought Colt Brennan with the records he came out of Hawaii with, and then we saw him in preseason games and he looked the real deal and everybody thought that's the guy, he might be the guy one day. And a lot of the players um, that he played with here, um, even though it was a brief period of time, they all loved him a lot. And we recently, Chris Cooley comes on this podcast a lot and he was good friends with Colt and he talked about him when he passed recently And I thought your story was really great. And if you don't mind, I wanted to start with the end first, which was, you know, the tragedy and how it ended, because I I wanted people to sort of understand that he seemed to be making significant progress from all of the troubles we uh, he had and he had sort of reunited with his family and his family was feeling optimistic and people close to him were feeling optimistic what happened on that mother's day weekend yeah so he uh, his parents went out of town colt was in a living uh, treatment facility for substance abuse in costa mesa which is very close to where his parents lived and um, they went out of town. So he sees his parents on Wednesday night. They have dinner at the house. They leave the next morning to go to a, a wedding in uh, in Mexico. And uh, they come back on Sunday night, Mother's Day, Sunday afternoon, uh, Mother's Day. And they they walk in, and Colt's in their living room, and he's he's drunk. And they know he's drunk, and they know he's been doing who knows what else, because they, they just look at him. His dad said, you know the look. You look at somebody, you know they're in trouble. And um, he was supposed to be in this live-in treatment facility, and he's in their home. So they knew right away this is bad. And what's really sad about it, Kevin, is that he, you're exactly right. He, for the first time in 12 years or 10 years, whatever it was, he was actually making progress. So his family thought he was. He was in this facility. It was supposed to be a five-month program, and he was four months into it. And that was longer than he had ever been. That was quite a bit longer than he's ever stayed in any one of these programs. So this family was really optimistic and they thought he would had turned the corner and this is it. We finally got him. He's finally on board. And then they go out of town and whatever it was, as his mom said, something triggered him to, to do it again. And as she said, he, he always sabotaged it and he did it again. And they walk in after this great trip. They just had to Mexico. They, their sons, they had just had this great visit with their son. And then they walk in a few days later and they find him and, and that, uh, you know, he ends up uh, within the next, uh, whatever it was, the uh, next 36 hours, he ends up dying. You know, you wrote that um, there were 12 hours between the time his parents walked in, found him intoxicated in their home, 
and then he ended up in an $80 a night motel in a blighted part of Costa Mesa. Did they expect that he would be going back to the facility and or 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 did he get to the facility and then they released him somehow? That part seemed to be a little bit unclear as to what happened in those hours following um, his parents coming back from that wedding and finding him uh, drunk in their house. Yeah, so what happened with that, it's, it's really tragic, and it's even more sad, is his father, after they find him, his father drives him to a detox facility. So the program he was in, you you can't go into that program unless you've gone through detox. You can't show up there drunk. You can't show up there high. They won't accept you because they can't have that around the, all the other people in that facility, understandably. So his dad realizes I've got to take him to a detox first, get him clean, and then we can go back to his the place he had been. And so he they go to this detox facility at the Hogue Hospital here, a very a giant hospital system here in Southern California. And uh, the problem is they have no room for him in the detox facility. So his dad is there. He stays with them for an hour or so. They're in the emergency room, which is the procedure there to go into detox. Well, his dad, it's, you know, it's the middle of the night. So his dad says, okay, I'm going you're, you're with these people. I'm going to go home and get some sleep. You know, we'll, I'll, whatever we'll see in the morning. And his dad goes home and then he gets a phone call about three hours later, four hours later, telling him that Colt's back in the hospital and that he's OD'd. And his dad's like, what are you talking about? Like, I, he's supposed to be in detox. Well, they had turned him away because there was no room, and they had sent him back out. Mm. And, you know, Colt was 37. He's, a, he's an adult. And who knows? He may have basically demanded that they let him go. They can't hold him. He wasn't under arrest. You know, it's not like they could – there was nothing they could do. They had, to, they had to let him go if he wanted to go, and they had no room, so they just let him, they let him go. And, and he ends up uh, – somehow it's not completely clear how he ended up at this hotel with a couple other people. And, um, that, that ended up to be, uh, where he ended up, uh, overdosing. And, and that, that was the end. Yeah. He, he overdosed with whatever he had ingested. It was laced with fentanyl. I guess that was, um, the yeah. cause of death. And his father called that shocking. And there were, you wrote that there were two other men with him, when police um, found him uh, in that in that hotel, um, were though it was unclear. You know, you see, I guess the investigation continues. Is there any suspicion that this was anything other than, you know, a self-inflicted overdose? No, the, the parents have been told the federal uh, some federal agents are involved in this, and some uh, obviously the local police are involved in this. And, and anyone who doesn't know, fentanyl is a right. is a really dangerous drug, and it's 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 a drug that, especially here in Southern California, they are they're trying to do everything they can to get rid of it, and it's it's a very you know it, 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 everybody's on high alert when it comes to fentanyl, so they're very interested in finding out. The, the police are interested in finding out what happened here, but they have told uh, the federal agents, according to Colt's parents, have told them that this appears to be nothing more than three guys together doing whatever they're doing and and one of them overdoses right. it, they don't think it, it was it wasn't a drug deal it wasn't uh there was no foul play so to speak it it was uh it was just a um a situation where colt took uh whether he 
didn't know what it was. Uh, he didn't know how much, uh, you know, how powerful what it was he was taking. Uh, that's that's probably questions we'll, we'll never know the answers to. But uh, uh, yeah, they're still in, they're still investigating it. So the police weren't terribly cooperative in this thing because it's still open and they're still trying to figure it out. But but by all accounts, it, it was just a you know it, it was just three guys at this hotel and and one of them ends up unconscious on the floor. And he ends up in a hospital, um, hooked up to a ventilator, as you wrote, um, with no brain uh, activity. And his parents um, and family um, essentially uh, decided to um, pull the plug. And he passes away at the age of 37 with just an incredible, you know, meteoric rise and then obviously a tragic fall. And I want to talk about both of those things. And I want to go back to um, him in, in college and, you know, I think some people who are listening sort of are, are much more familiar with Colt McCoy's Colt McCoy, Colt Brennan, excuse me. We had a couple of Colts here uh, in DC, Colt Brennan, yeah, Colt Brennan's, um, rise. But the, while he was, um, you know, a, a hell of a, of a high school quarterback, um, uh, good enough to be at at, at modern day backing up Matt Leinart, but because Leinart was there, he he went to Worcester Academy in Massachusetts for a post grad a career where he really started to play well, and then ended up at the University of Colorado where there was an incident that got him booted from from uh, from Boulder. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, he. Uh, this is a this is a situation that, and I think. It's very telling that uh, his mother Betsy said that he never got over this. That this he this stayed with him for for the rest of his life. And Colt, uh, as early uh, or as recently as April, on his Instagram post, still was defending himself and still saying he was he didn't do it. He got charged and convicted of. But he he basically was a uh, it was a co-ed dorm he was in in at the University of Colorado. He had redshirted. He walked on there, redshirted as a freshman in January of that year, so it's just after the football season. And he is drunk, and he goes into gets into a girl's room, and there's it becomes a lot of he said, she said. Where Colt apparently claimed that he was invited, she said he wasn't. He, um, uh, he, he apparently fondles her. He exposed himself, uh, according to what she said. Uh, he he claimed that that would never happen. But uh, he ends up uh, getting convicted of a, um, a sex-related crime, which which that conviction was overturned and dismissed by the judge. It was vacated, so that part of it was cleared off his record. Technically, he ends up with a couple of lesser charges, but he, you know, forever, you know, for the rest of his life, he was he, he was consider, you know, he. He was, in his mind, and I think a lot of people's mind, he was uh, some kind of a sex offender, which uh, who knows what really happened in that room. Who knows what what, what the motivation uh, on either side was. But um, it, it's, it was definitely one of those things, as his mom said, and as his, his behavior, his, his claims indicated the rest of his life, he, it never, he never got over that. It, it was something that uh, stayed with him, and he, it certainly haunted him the rest of his life. Yeah, that, I thought that was an interesting part of your story. There are a lot of things that perhaps led to, you know, his condition um, and the issues that he had, which we'll get to some of them, which included concussions and even an accident. But that incident at Colorado, as you mentioned, even shortly before his death, 
he had sent something out on social media, I guess essentially professing his innocence on something that had happened 17 years earlier. Yeah, I mean, that just shows you how much that was on his mind. You know, you can you think about that, where he, he couldn't, that, that is the absolute definition of not being able to let something go. Like, he, he kept bringing it up and kept going back to it, which which shows you his how how much of a scar that was on him. There's no question that he, that that, that had a factor in this, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of other things too, but, but there's no question about it that that, that incident had an impact on him that, that helped lead to his death. So he ends up going to play at Saddleback College in California, um, uh, a junior college in California. Um, I, I loved the story of how sort of the University of Hawaii discovered him. Um, tell that story for everybody. Yeah, so the, uh, Saddleback is this little school uh, just off the a five freeway uh, down in, in Mission Viejo. Beautiful. It's up, sort of sits up on a hill. It's beautiful. And, uh, but it's a, you know, they, they've had, they, they have a pretty good athletic program, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a community college. It's Juco basically. And so he's, he ends up there. He, he passed the polygraph the test to get in the, he had the, you know, the president, the football coach were, um, were in his corner. They had him. They said, we, you, we know what happened in Colorado, but we're going to let you play here. And uh, he starts, you know, he plays one season, and, and there he, he does well, and they're, they're playing pretty well. And Saddleback always has a handful of players who are D1 type prospects, and and they had one at the time, a wide receiver, Jared Grab, who ended up going to Boise State, and he kicked around in the fringes of the NFL for a little bit too. And that's who that's the guy that Hawaii was coming to see was that wide receiver, and uh, the coach uh, that came here, Rich Miano, assistant coach at the time, he's he's been. Um, in the Hawaii program forever, been around that program forever, and he is uh, watching tape. And he comes, he goes back to Hawaii. He's watching tape of of this receiver, and he realizes, man, this quarterback I think is pretty good. So he walks the tape down to June Jones's office, who June Jones at the time is a head coach. Everyone knows June Jones's name, and he, you know, they start watching him play, and June watches the same play. Rich said he, he watched it probably ten times in a row. And said, Rich, you know, this guy is remarkable. He's incredible. We, we have to get this guy. I want him. And, uh, you know, June Jones is a, um, has worked with a lot of great quarterbacks. Yeah, quarterback years. guru, and for sure. Exactly. Totally. And he, he, he said to this day, Colt's one of the most accurate passers he ever saw. And uh, he, it's the way he explained it to me was every pass this guy threw was 18 inches in front of the receiver, like exactly where you want it. Like he was perfect. And the other thing, that impressed June Jones was Colt had this ability. He could make pinpoint passes without having both of his feet planted. Like he could do it with one foot, the kind of stuff that you see, you know, player, you know, quarterbacks doing now that he was doing that. He, he had that ability. So uh, it was just a matter of once they figured out the, how good they thought he could be, then they had to go dig into the Colorado stuff and find out what's going on. And, uh, and as June said that we, they made it. They had an agreement, basically. Cole, you can come here and play. You're going to have to walk on because we can't give you a scholarship because you're going to kill me if we try to give you a scholarship under under these conditions. You've got to come here and prove yourself. And he went to Hawaii and he proved himself, you know, a thousand times over. 
Yeah, December uh, 2007, 12-0, ranked 10 in the country, um, the highest that Hawaii's ever been ranked. Um, and, uh, you know, he was – you know, he was a record setter. It was amazing um, what he did there. 58 touchdown passes in 2006 um, uh, to 12 interceptions. I mean, it's interesting um, what he was for that school and for that state. Um, and you talked about it that he, and I think we had here a sense of what uh, his popularity was um, in Hawaii. Um, and um, maybe you can just elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, he had, uh, um, just think about that for a second, right? Their, Hawaii football is number 10 in the country. Yeah. Like, how ridiculous does that sound right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's, you know, I mean, that you you forget, like, how, how crazy that really was, how good they were. and uh, But he, Colt, uh, I, I had some of this in the story. Unfortunately, I had to get edited out because of space. But Colt's high school coach told me that he shows up at Modern Day, which is this, elite school, private school, has produced, you know, you mentioned Matt Leinart, and, like, you know, great alumni list that's crazy how many you know, people, high-achieving people that have gone there. And Colt shows up. He's sort of this gangly kid. Other kids picked on him. He was, you know, in, in, a, in a playful way, not in a nasty, bullying way. But he was kind of a, a little bit of a goof. You know, he was the guy that they would play tricks on him because he was gullible. But he, he was also had this... This quality of he was lovable. He he, people gravitated toward him for whatever reason. He had this great smile. He was had this charisma. Uh, you know his teammates. You, you ask any of his teammates, I and mean, you, you know you mentioned some of the people in Washington. They just they wanted to be around this guy. They 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 kind of gravitated toward him, and he, he always had that. Based on what his high school coach explained to me, he just he just always had that ability to kind of to to attract. Uh, other people and and at Hawaii he you take what he did on the field and then you put that personality and that charisma along with that off the field and and what he 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 was always a giving person he signed every autograph posed for every picture had that quality going and uh, it it just all of it came together to turn him into I mean he was a genuine icon and is probably um, a couple of people out in Hawaii told me he was, he's probably the greatest sports-related figure that, that, that's ever been on the islands, which and you, when you consider this is, a, this is a kid, a white kid from, from Orange County, California, and he reached that level in Hawaii, a place that's not always welcoming to people from the mainland and can be tough uh, for people from coming from somewhere else. The fact that he was able to do that just shows you how how magnetic and how special he was as a person, as a sort of as a figure. I mean, it's 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 really incredible that he was able to do that. You know, part of your story, I I guess I just didn't know this or didn't realize this because whenever whenever I've been there, I've been a tourist, and I guess they're always <laughs> kind to tourists who are paying. But you you mentioned that it's not easy for a mainlander. Um, to become, you know, super popular, that they're not necessarily welcoming. Um, but obviously, he, 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 he crossed over into um, uh, being revered. But um, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. You know, I just out of curiosity, I would think that most of Hawaii's athletes, you know, still come from California and in the West Coast primarily. Yes or no? 
Um, yeah, there's there's no question about that. There there are um, there are a lot, and and I think uh, there's uh, you know Hawaii for as small as it is produces a ton of great athletes as well. Sure, and a lot of those you know a lot of those guys uh, come here and are are stars here. Uh, some will stay there and and uh, but uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I mean, I just know I know people who just you know, regular Joes who have moved to Hawaii and sometimes struggle to kind of fit in and be accepted. Uh, it, I think it's just a cultural thing. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, it, it's kind of like, this is our Island. What are you doing here? I think there's some of that a little bit. I don't want to trash Hawaii and make it sound like everybody's <laughs> terrible there. That's not the case, but I, I just think it, I think it can be tricky. Probably the best way to say it. I think it, it can be tricky for people and, and cold, it, from what everybody has told me, he went there and he he just completely threw himself headlong into the culture and into into the people. And he, um, you know, he, you know, he he embraced it to no end. And in turn, the island, you know, based on his attitude and then his athletic performance, they they embraced him right back, and it became this just perfect. Uh, almost too good to be true marriage of the, of the two. You know, um, Cooley said to me um, on the podcast after uh, Cold had passed a few months ago, he said, you know, um, in this day and age, he would have come out and he would have been, he would have been a first round pick that, you know, he was six, three, but he threw from all sorts of angles. And, you know, he, he, there was a lot of Mahomes comparisons. He wasn't comparing him necessarily to Mahomes, but the style, you know, and Trey Lance, even to a certain degree. And he's like in, you know, 10 years, you know, 15, 14 years later, Colt Brennan with those numbers, they would have overlooked some of his, you know, style of, of the way he completed balls and the way he threw off balance or off the wrong foot occasionally. Um, they would have overlooked that. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Kevin. I hadn't really thought about that. And uh, somebody yesterday, I was just talking to a friend of mine, asked me that question. Like, if he came out today, do you think he would be a, would have made it? And the uh, that got me thinking. Uh, the answer is, is he, I think he would have had a, a better chance, certainly. I think, you know, the last 10, 15 years we've seen in the NFL now uh, with coaches, especially some of these younger coaches, where they're willing to really mold their systems around their players, right? So Colt, you know, I think if the right coach had gotten a hold of Colt, they could have, they they may have built a system around him that could have made allowed him to flourish. But yeah, if you look at it, you mentioned Mahomes. You know, he he did some Mahomes type stuff, and in, in those, he would sling the ball sidearm. He would you know he could throw on the run. He he did all this kind of stuff that that NFL teams now are looking for their quarterbacks to do. That you know things that a few years ago, not even that long ago, nobody wanted the quarterback doing that. So uh, I, I think yeah, if he came out now, I think he would have had he would have certainly been given a more of a shot. It would have been, you know, I don't want to say taken seriously because I'm sure Washington didn't think he was, you know, just a flyer. I think they thought they maybe, you know, they drafted him because they thought they could make something out of him. But I, I think, you know, maybe he would have gotten a little more of a chance. Maybe he would have been, uh, you know, given a, a little more, uh, uh, you know, a, a few more opportunities, you know, and say, okay, let's put this guy in a game and see what it looks like. 
Lastly on him, and not to end it on sort of a more um, you know, depressing note, but you, you wrote about the head trauma that he suffered um, in an SUV um, accident that they, he was driving in with his girlfriend. Cooley had, had discussed that and said after that accident, you know, those, that, th- those uh, that were friends with him and he was a friend said he was never really the same after that accident. You talked about all the multiple concussions. How much um, of all of that, I mean, I guess they may learn because they've donated his brain, right, for, for CTE mm-hmm. uh, research. Um, but how much of that does the family think contributed uh, to sort of his downfall with, with alcohol and drugs? They're very curious, uh, and they don't know the answer to that, just like nobody knows the answer to that. And unfortunately, the only way you get these answers is to, is to, is to cut into the brain. And, and so uh, we're going to find out. It's, it's going to be a while. These things usually, I'm told, take anywhere from 9 to 12 months. Um, so it's going to be a while before anything comes out on that. But I would be quite surprised if, if they don't find something uh, CTE-related because it certainly sounds like his behaviors, the some of the ailments, the things he was dealing with, it sounds like it was all um, things relating to the brain. So I would I would be surprised. But his family is curious, and they don't know. Um, I think his, his mother, Betsy, seems a little more convinced than his father, uh, his father's name is Terry. Um, is, uh, she seems a little more convinced that there was something going on. She kept saying there's more to it, like it's bigger. Something bigger was happening here. And I I, I think what she was referring to was that, was was there was something going on neurologically that wasn't right. And his dad is, is kind of uh, sort of on the fence. He's not 100% sure. But I uh, I think they're, they're, there's no question. I mean, they're very curious and are... Uh, when, that, when that report comes out, uh, you know, they're going to read every word of it and, and try to uh, maybe try to get some answers that, uh, you know, obviously any parent going through something like this wants as much information, as many answers as they can get. And, and right now on that particular subject, there are no answers. Nobody nobody knows, and we, and we won't know until those scientists can get in there and do their work. Jeff Miller from the L.A. Times wrote a really good story over the weekend on um, the life and death of Colt Brennan. I would urge you to read it. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Miller, L-A-T. Um, if you've got another five minutes, I'd love to ask you about the Chargers. We're about two and a half months away from the beginning um, of the season. Um, you got a new... Sure, co- it's never too early. It's never too early. <laughs> Um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Washington's schedule this year includes just a brutal list of, of quarterbacks, Jeff. I mean, they've got um, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, whether he's in Green Bay or Denver because they play them both, Tom Brady, <laughs> Russell Wilson, you know, Dak Prescott twice. It's unbelievable. I don't know that an NFL team has ever wow. had a list of the quarterbacks that they're going to face. And I didn't even mention Matt Ryan um, and uh, and probably a couple of others. But I thought, you know, um, watching the Chargers last year, I know they, they made it a, a, a change. Um, Staley's in. They were so close last year in so many games. First of all, when did you guys realize, I'm curious, you know, media-wise, fan-wise, that you had the real deal in Herbert because he wasn't even scheduled to play until Tyrod Taylor had that incident prior to the Kansas City game in Week 2? Yeah, it's funny. We uh, A lot of us here have kind of questioned, as last year was going on, 
like, what were those coaches thinking? The former staff, they weren't going to play this guy. Right. So it's like, you know, and, and the short answer to that is they were just more comfortable with Tyrod Taylor, who, was, who ended up being the backup. They, they thought they liked the team they had, and they thought with a, with a veteran quarterback who, who will manage the game and won't, won't have a bunch of turnovers, that they had a chance to do something. Because the year before, Phillip Rivers had, had thrown the ball all over the place, had way too many interceptions, and just killed them in some close games. And so they thought, we can eliminate that, we're going to be all right. So, but that Herbert ends up having to play in week two, and you know he comes in right away in the first first drive. He leads him to a touchdown, and and I, I, it was it was weird. You know that first game we're sitting there watching this, they're playing the Chiefs, and he's out he's out playing Mahomes like clearly for three quarters of that game. It, right. it was a, there was a really weird sensation. You know we were like it was kind of like one of those things where is this just. You know, a lot of us, I think, after that first week thought, well, this is, this succeeded because the Chiefs were just blown. They had no idea those were coming. You know, they had no expectation they were going to play this guy who's throwing the ball all over. They thought they were going to play a quarterback who would be just dumping it off and maybe take a shot here and there. But they, you know, it was a totally different thing once Herbert got in there. And I, really, I think after probably about three or four weeks, it took a little while because I think we all kind of thought. There's this adjustment period that the league's going to have to go through now, and they're going to figure this guy out. And so they start, you know, teams start trying to blitz and all this stuff. And the more pressure they put on, the better he played. You know, the more the more accurate he was under pressure. The more, you know, the more big plays he produced while teams were trying to, you know, do everything they could to get at him. And that that was kind of the thing that really stood out to to me was his his numbers against pressure against blitzes were were ridiculous. And, the, and on third down and third and long, I mean, his numbers were crazy good. And I think it was probably after about, like I said, three or four of these games where you realize this isn't just a fluke. And this is, you know, we kept waiting for that dud, that terrible game. And he really never had one. Uh, you know, he, he had a couple that weren't as good. But, but you know, that team was seven and nine, and it wasn't his fault <laughs> that they right. were under 500. I mean, he, he, you know, the way he played, they should have been a playoff team. You know, there are only whatever there are, six, seven, eight of them that are the difference makers at the position. And we all know as NFL fans, if you don't have one, it's much harder. Um, after one year, do you guys think you have one? I, I think the Chargers believe they do, yeah. I think they're 100% convinced. And it's kind of hard sitting here right now to think otherwise. And why would you Why would you not believe that? Uh, we'll see. You know, I mean, there's, there's been quarterbacks who had great rookie years, um, as the people in, in Washington know, who had great rookie years who ended up not doing much. So um, we'll see. But I, I think they, they're convinced. I don't think there's any question. And, you know, the thing about Herbert is he's, he's a, he works. Like, there, no one's going to have to force him to work, and he's also really smart. And so I think he's got a really good chance uh, to fulfill – the potential that he showed last year and to get better. And, and I think with the, the new coaching staff and, you know, Brandon Staley, the new head coach has a habit of getting the best out of guys. And that's, that's kind of been his MO in, in his quick rise to becoming an NFL head coach. So um, I think it's a, I think there's a potential there that he, uh, ha, ha, you know, he could be, you know, 15 years from now, we could still be talking about him the way we talk about Aaron Rodgers and, and some of these other guys. I don't want to say Brady because I'm not going to say the Chargers are going to win six Super Bowls, but uh, you know he has a, he definitely has a chance that he 
you know, uh, you know, last year, just as an example, we, before they played Brady, I, I asked him, I said, do you feel like, you know, 20 years from now, you could be still playing in the NFL kind of jokingly comparing him to Brady in that regard. And he said, I hope I am in 20. That's where, so he, you know, it would have been really easy to say, oh, I don't think I can play 20 years. But he was like, I, I want to play 20 years. So, uh, you know, he's got the attitude and the mindset that he's going to be doing this for a long time. And I, and he, uh, I think there's a really good chance that he could be the, this team's starting quarterback for the, the same way Philip Rivers was for, you know, for, for many years to come. Yeah, from uh, you're talking to um, somebody. I I I still have callers that will call on the show and just remind me how much I loved Philip Rivers throughout his career. I just he's one of my all time favorite players to watch um, from afar, and um, even last year, I I thought they were nearly uh, right there to beat Buffalo in the playoff game with him in in Indy. Um, so there are two stars defensively. You know, we've got, uh, we think, a young superstar defensive player in Chase Young and maybe one or two other really good players. Um, Joey Bosa is an incredible player when he's healthy, and obviously Derwin James looks the part. You know, there are a lot of similarities when James was having that that rookie year, you know, uh, uh, around here to the way he plays and the way Sean Taylor um, played. Mm-hmm. What is the health of both of those players, and what are the expectations defensively? Uh, they're, they're sky-high expectations, especially on defense. Uh, with uh, Staley, you know, he was a defense coordinator yep. of the Rams last year. Uh, he, he's the head coach now. He's not the he's not coordinating the right. defense, but it's certainly his defense. And uh, I think that's you know it's going to be a come a question of whether they can stay healthy and these guys can master the system. There's a lot going on in the system. There's a lot of communication. It's not a simple, you know, Gus Bradley, the former defensive coordinator, kept it real simple and just wanted guys to play fast and use your skills. This is different. They're going to be there's a lot of communication, a lot of mis. You know, a lot of this sort of uh, disguising where you're, you you give the same look and then the, the offense adjusts, then the defense has to adjust. If they can master that the way the Rams did and the way uh, uh, some of the other teams that Staley's worked with have done, I mean, they'll, they're going to be really good. The Rams were the number one defense in the league last year, and obviously they've got some superstars too, but so do the Chargers. And um, to answer your question regarding James and, and Bosa, James is fully healthy. Uh, he told us he's fine. He's been medically cleared. He's good to go. And and uh, Joey said the same thing. He's fine. He's got no lingering effects. But he's also a guy in five years. He's, right. he's played 16 games twice in five seasons. So he, he he's had issues. And, he, and I think he's one of those guys. He's always going to be sort of battling stuff just the way he plays. And he, he's tough. It's not a question of that at all. He, he plays hurt, and he'll play hurt. But, uh, um, you know, he's got... That's both those guys are going to have to stay healthy, and both those guys. It's going to be a kind of a week to week thing, I think, with both those guys. And the other thing with Joey, I you hate to talk about this because you don't want to, you just don't want to have to. But you know, we we need to talk about these things because that's our job. Is he had two concussions at the end of last season, very close together. So, you know, I know, you know, every time there's a, a collision in there, we're all going to be looking at him to see if he how is he getting up, is he wobbly, what's going on. And um, that's something that it's it, it, hopefully, you know, for his sake and for everybody's sake, it isn't a story for us next season but or this season, but it, it very well could be a story. And if, if, if he is issue, having trouble with that, we, you know, yeah, that's a, 
that's something that could become very serious very quick. What happened to Melvin Ingram? I, I know, I think he got hurt. He got hurt last year, right? It, yeah, he did. He had a couple injuries. So where is he now? He, he's available. He's out there. Uh, he hasn't signed with anybody. Um, the the sense that I get, the feeling that from talking to some people, is that he just wants too much money right now, and so he's he's available. He. Um, you know, he's when he's healthy, same thing. When he's healthy, he's good. He just has had a hard time staying healthy, and he's not the player he was, you know, five years ago. He he, he was really uh, playing at a, a higher level, but he's still, yeah. He'll he'll eventually end up with somebody, and I don't know. I don't know if he's just waiting. Maybe he'll wait until the training camp's open, and maybe somebody gets hurt in a first preseason week, and then somebody needs a, a, a defensive end. And they go sign him, uh, but but he's available. He he just um, they have a, a couple of players, a couple of younger players, uh, who they like in that spot and who are more affordable. And I think it just uh, came one of those situations where uh, they realize, okay, we've got other needs. We'll put you know we need to put resources elsewhere, and we we can let him go. And it's um, you know he was he was popular with his teammates, popular with his fans here, so. Um, you know, Joey Bosa talked about him the other day, missing him and how he wishes he was he was still here. But it, it just became one of those at his age, early 30s. Uh, you know, there's a business side of it too that played in there, and so they they let him go. And he, but he's still out there. He's still available. Two more, and I'll let you run. And I really appreciate the time. The first is this: mm-hmm. What are the expectations? That you're obviously in the division with the Chiefs, so. That's that's a tough road um, in terms of a division title. I mean, they're the most. They're, I think they're the biggest favorite of any division um, favorite in the league. And then you know who knows where Aaron Rodgers ends up. I'm assuming that if you're a Chargers fan, you want him to stay in Green Bay <laughs> and not end up in Denver. Um, you know, the Raiders. I, I don't know what to make of them. But what are the expectations? I would assume that you guys think the Chargers are a legitimate playoff contender this year, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny, Kevin. You say that um, the Chargers aren't—they're like the perpetual team that's always going to be pretty good, right? That they're always—they're <laughs> yeah. always like right on the edge. And and I think what that is, is the reason for that. You know, you go back the last twenty years is they've always had a quarterback. You know, it was Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, and now they have Justin Herbert. And as you said, if you have a quarterback in this league, you have a chance. And so I think that that's the reason why the Chargers are always thought of as. If they can stay healthy, if they get a few breaks, you know, if things go just, you know, just so they could be a really good team and they could be a playoff team. And I think that's the same. It's the same thing this year. And I think it's largely because of Herbert and because of, you know, Derwin coming back now and healthy and assuming that he stays healthy. Uh, it, it's going to come down to it's going to come down to that, their health. And we saw it here in 2018. When they stayed relatively healthy, not fully, but relatively healthy, and they won a bunch of close games, they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game and then then lost to New England. And uh, so we've seen it. You know, we, we saw we've seen it happen here. And I think this team is that same way. That if they can get some breaks and they they can win these close games, they they this team plays a ton of close games. If they can win a, win those games, they should. There's no reason to not you know, to think that this team 
can't make the playoffs and, and actually do something once they get there. Yeah, the the team a few years ago that the the game the that Thursday night game at Arrowhead when Rivers was just unbelievable in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and they went for the two and and got it to win the game and I really I it was funny that playoff game um, against the Patriots, a lot of people thought that was going to be the time for the Chargers to break through. You know, it was a yep. short line, and it, it was never in doubt the Patriots rolled um, that day. Um, my last one for you is just where are the Chargers in, in the local landscape in L.A.? Does anybody care? You know, they are – they're, they're – the, the, the short answer to that is they're they're with the majority of they're they're right there with with everybody else other than the Lakers and the Dodgers, basically. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the Clippers. You know, Clippers are in the conference finals, and it's kind of like yeah, all right, they're they're sort of a they're sort of a big deal, but not really a big deal. They're still the Clippers, and, and we've seen it with other teams. You know, here we've seen the you know, Angels win the World Series, and people a lot of people shrug. Um, you know, the Kings and Ducks have won Stanley Cups and people are like, yeah, okay, good for them. You know, what, what's, when's the Lakers play? You know, who, when's their next game? Uh, so the Chargers are right there. You know, and the Rams, frankly, are in the same spot. They're, it's not like I, from people on the outside, I, I think there's some people have this misperception that, you know, the Rams are, are way up here and the Chargers are way down here. They're both kind of somewhere in the middle trying to, trying to establish themselves and trying to, trying to get a fan base. The Rams certainly have more fans in, in Los Angeles than the Chargers do, but it's not as, the gap isn't anywhere near what people think it is. And, you know, from what I'm told, they've, their Chargers have sold a ton of season tickets. They're really encouraged going to the new stadium. And they, uh, they, they feel like, you know, this is an opportunity with, with Herbert, uh, especially this is an opportunity to try to cash in and, and try to really, grab a hold here and, and, and try to, to to become an L.A. team with no question. But it, it's going to be tough. Everybody here, you know, even USC football, as big as that can be, when they they slide off, uh, you know, they have a, a mediocre season, a mediocre stretch, people stop going and people stop paying attention. But that's the and number so, three, isn't it? it? When they're good, isn't that the number three in L.A.S.C. football? I would say yes. I, I think it is. Yeah, I think um, when they're good, when they're you know when they were doing what they were doing under Pete Carroll, there's no question they were they were right, they were up there with the Lakers and the Dodgers. No no doubt. So, do people from San why, Diego go to the games? Do they come up and go to the games? Yes, yeah, some do. They're, they're, they they have a the Chargers do have still have a following in San Diego. Uh, I still get you know emails all the time from people down there, either. You know, talking about the Chargers, or you know, some, some you know, obviously there's a lot of anger toward the Chargers. Sure. A lot of a lot of a lot of the responses I get are people, you know, telling Dean Spanos where to go. But uh, it, they do have there's there's no question. There's still people in San Diego. There's still people in South Orange County, which is down near San Diego, who used to go to the games in San Diego are still going to the games now here in L.A. There is there is some overlap, no question. Jeff, thanks. I really appreciate you doing this. It's a really good story on Colt Brennan. Um, I would urge everybody to read it. L.A. Times, Jeff Miller, at Jeff Miller, L.A.T. Uh, I will reach out to you shortly before the opener, and we can catch up again if you don't mind. No, I'd be glad to. Yeah, it'll be fun to just talk some football. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much. Jeff Miller, uh, everybody.
Uh, all right. Um, we'll finish up the show with a couple of NBA thoughts from over the weekend uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Finish up the show with five minutes on what was really a great weekend uh, in sports. First of all, the U.S. Open. How awesome was it um, to see John Rahm after what happened at the Memorial a few weeks ago where with a six-shot lead, he was taken off the course at the end of the third round and disqualified because he had tested positive for COVID. To see him birdie 17 and 18 at Torrey Pines yesterday, great putts, incredible fan reaction. Um, I was really rooting for him down the stretch yesterday when it became obvious it was a two-horse race between between him and Ustase, and Ustase and knocking it you know out of bounds on 17. Um, that was unfortunate. I would not have uh, bet on that. I thought he looked unflappable for most of the day. Hit it OB on 17, then on 18, hits it into the rough, and his only chance to win the golf tournament is to make eagle on 18, which he had made on Saturday to take the lead, um, and he couldn't go for the green on his second shot because the ball was buried in the rough. He had to lay up. Um, there's big, there's big water in front of that 18th green and he was not going to be able to carry the water. He had to lay up and then hope that he could knock it in from, I don't know, 80 yards, 90 yards, which obviously was a long shot. So that was unfortunate. Um, but I was so happy for Rom and look, I'm not a big Bryson DeChambeau fan. So to see him actually in the lead or with a share of the lead going to the back nine and then to shoot 44, eight over on the back nine, um, with all of his, you know, calculated yardages, uh, as he's overhitting fairways and spraying balls all over the place, um, I uh, kind of enjoyed that. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about the NBA as well. Um, I, I know I've mentioned uh, a lot about the NBA since the playoffs began. Saturday night's game between Milwaukee and Brooklyn is one of the greatest game sevens in the history of the sport. It's one of the great individual performances you'll ever see by Kevin Durant. Actually, both of the big stars showed up. Giannis Attentacumpo had 40. Durant had 48, the most ever scored in a game seven. He was magnificent. The game was so compelling. It wasn't well played the entire game. It wasn't well coached the entire game, and it sure as hell was not well officiated, I didn't think. But the drama of a seventh game, the desperation, the stars playing great, um, that was Giannis's signature game of his career. Um, and yet, uh, you know, in in wrapped up into that 40-point, 13-rebound, 5-assist Game 7 win, um, playing 50 of the 53 minutes, Giannis was 8 of 14 from the free-throw line, which is good for him, but two of his six misses were air balls. Um, it was a wild game. You had Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton having terrible games. At one point, Drew Holiday was 2 for 18, and yet with the game on the line late in the fourth quarter, he's looking and hunting for a shot, taking them and making them. Um, on the other side, Durant had another epic performance, an all-time Game 7 performance points-wise. Did not come out of the game, played all 53 minutes. This was really two of the greatest individual performances of all time, and they came in the same series within you know, two games of each other. In Game 5, he went for the 49, 17, and 10, never came out of the game in 48 minutes. 
And then last night, with once again a compromised James Harden and no Kyrie Irving on Saturday night, excuse me, he went for 48, the most ever scored in a game seven. He hit the shot at the end of regulation after Brooke Lopez lost complete uh, uh, track of, of the game situation. There were about two and a half seconds left on the shot clock, about seven on the game clock, seven or eight on the game clock. They called timeout. He walked out there, took a pass for an open three, and decided not to shoot it, but tried to pass the ball out to Chris Middleton as the shot clock expired. A total brain freeze on the, the, on the part of Brooke Lopez, and that allowed um, Kevin Durant to hit a, a game-tying jump shot with one second to go with barely, as it was a step back, you know, he really wanted it to be a three, but the the foot was just on the line. It was a good call. It definitely was a two-pointer, not a three-pointer. And then Durant did not score in the overtime. In fact, Brooklyn scored the first two points and did not score again. The the game was 109-109 going into overtime, and Milwaukee outscored Brooklyn 6-2, and really it was 4-2. They called a foul with .3 left. Um, and... Uh, Durant missed um, the uh, game-winning shot. Actually, it wouldn't have been a game-winning shot because the foot was on the line on that one, too. He airballed it. I thought Steve Nash made a big error, um, a big error uh, by not calling timeout. Durant was gassed. The entire um, teams, uh, both teams, were, were gassed beyond description. It was just a um, an exhausting um, game for these players in a, in a long series but man, the drama of it was was top shelf. It really was phenomenal, phenomenal basketball game to watch. Um, you don't have to like the NBA. I've been saying that for two and a half or three weeks or whatever it's been. If you're a sports fan, um, these NBA playoffs have been incredible. And the game seven between Milwaukee and Brooklyn on Saturday night was truly um, an all timer. And look, I, I um. I, I think Steve Nash was a bad choice. Uh, Steve Nash really never adjusted. You know, it was a three-star team with the three stars. I think they would have won the title with all three of them healthy. But look, Kyrie Irving, you know, took some weeks off and Harden, you know, load management. It you know, they were hurt. You know, they, they they just figured they could put it all together when it mattered. Um, but you know, two of the three got hurt and. The one that they couldn't afford to lose, Durant, was still there, and he nearly won the series by himself. Um, but you you got to wonder um, about whether or not um, these three players with a rookie coach that made no adjustments um, the other night whatsoever um, uh, during the course of, of that game, uh, they needed uh, some of the role players to step up. Um, especially Joe Harris, who just had a, you know an horrific, horrific sh- uh, shooting um, series down the stretch in the last three or four games. But um, I don't know, man. Milwaukee wins, big signature win for Giannis, and they get Atlanta, who beats Philadelphia. And that's the next story we got to talk about. Ben Simmons did not shoot the basketball in the fourth quarter. It's the second or third time that's happened in this series. He's so anxiety-ridden over shooting because he's such a bad shooter. Um, It was so uncomfortable to watch. He had a dunk to cut it to two late in the game and passed the ball. And uh, the player that caught the pass got fouled, missed one of the two free throws. Um, Ben Simmons is due to earn another 140 to 145 million, something like that, over the last four years of his contract. And he can't shoot the basketball. 
Um, he's a, a terrific defender. He's a great defender. He's a great rebounder. He's a high IQ player, but he is, he's got a phobia right now. Um, and couldn't shoot the basketball. Uh, he's got the worst all-time shooting free throw percentage in a series, 34.4%. Worst ever um, in a series for a player. Ben Simmons in this series against the Atlanta – or I'm sorry, in the playoffs as a whole, in the playoffs as a whole, including the series against Washington, was 25 of 73 from the free throw line. He missed 48 free throws. You can't have him on the floor. He's a great player. He's a he's your best defender. He's your best passer. Um you you can't have him on the floor with the game on the line because you're playing 4 on 5 offensively, but what's worse is if he is the fifth player touches the ball, he's going to get fouled and sent to the free throw line. It was really painful to watch him go through this terrifying stretch of not wanting the basketball on offense and not wanting to shoot. Um, Meantime, Doc Rivers loses his fourth consecutive game seven. And for some reason last night, he keeps Seth Curry on Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter, the former Terp star, goes for 27 game high in a seventh and deciding game, his career playoff high. He Trey Young was 5 of 23. In the game, Kevin Herter was the star of the game. And Seth Curry, who couldn't guard me, and by the way, is much shorter than Herter. You know, uh, Seth Curry is 6'1", 6'2", maybe, and Herter is every bit of 6'7". And they just kept going and just attacking Seth Curry with Kevin Herter, and Rivers wouldn't change. I don't know what he was doing, man. He played. He played in a in a seventh and deciding game. He played ten players. Who plays ten guys in a tightly contested seventh and deciding game? I don't know why Dwight Howard plays. And Joel Embiid, as great as he is, he had eight turnovers. They had seventeen total, in part because they've got no real structure to their offense. I've always thought, look, I like Doc Rivers. Everybody likes Doc Rivers. I don't think he's a terrible coach, but I always think that when people start talking about him with you know descriptions and labels like future Hall of Fame coach because he won the one title in Boston, I don't get it. I don't think he's all that. Um, lastly, Phoenix won game one without Chris Paul. Um, it was a great basketball game. Uh, I mean, Devin Booker is a true superstar um, you may not think he's there yet. He, in his first Western Conference Finals without Chris Paul out for with COVID um, protocol, he goes for 40 points, 13 rebounds, and 11 assists. And what was so beautiful about watching Devin Booker is he just thrives in the mid-range. I mean, he's anti-analytics, thrives in the mid-range, and he's so patient He didn't start the game off by firing up shots. He got all of his teammates involved, which is why he ended up with the triple-double with the 11 assists. Um, He knew he had to to be a facilitator with with Chris Paul out as well. And then he just filleted the Clippers. They had nobody to check him. He goes for 40, but the Clippers hung in there because they are really loaded offensively with three-point shooters in particular. And they, They made 23s. Paul George was outstanding again. I got to give him credit. Terrence Mann, you know, didn't have the game he had Friday night. Um, but I would just say this. I don't think the Clippers have a prayer of beating the Suns without Kawhi Leonard. 
Um, Chris Paul will be back for the Suns. I don't know what the status of Kawhi Leonard is. I hope he's back. He's my favorite player. Um, I don't know how healthy he is. For whatever reason, my sense of it is he's not going to play again this year. And the Clippers just haven't announced it. They're trying to keep it you know, open uh, for a possibility to at least keep the competitor, the Suns, um, thinking that it's possible. Um, the Clippers do not win this series, I don't think, without Kawhi playing in it and Kawhi being healthy and playing in it. The Suns are really, really good. All right, uh, that's it for the day. Uh, back tomorrow with Tommy. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.